Well, good morning, friends. Thanks for being here today, uh, especially if it is your first time with us, maybe your first time in a long time. So grateful that you have come and spent some time with us over this weekend. Uh, be sure, fill out that connection card, go to the I'm New table. We'll get you a bunch of information. Love to meet you personally. Uh, give you a free gift, just get you more plugged into this church. Uh, hey, I'm super excited about June 17th, the day that Ryan mentioned we were partnering with Feed My Starving Children. Last weekend, I told you that we're going to come together on that day and pack 4,000 different meals. Uh, well, I wasn't wrong. Uh, there's just a lot more that we're going to pack. We're going to pack 104,000 meals. We're going to pack 4,000 meals in the first 10 minutes. So uh, there's two shifts on that day. Make sure you RSVP now. Uh, little ones are welcome, I think, up to or uh, as, as young as five can help us to do this event. So bring your family, bring your friends, invite a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate. We'd love to have you. Two shifts, a three-hour morning shift. Take a lunch break, then a three-hour afternoon shift. Let's pack 100,000 meals. Uh, and then we're going to actually ship them to a group in Haiti, I believe. Uh, it's a special needs orphanage. And we're super excited. You know our heart here at West Bowles for the special needs community. And so it's a beautiful opportunity for us to bless the special needs across the world. So June 17th, you're not going to miss it. Looking forward to that day. Hey, we've got so much to talk about this morning and not a ton of time to do it. So I need you to do two things. I need you to bow your head and buckle your seatbelt. Let's do that. Uh, God, speak to us now. Fix our eyes. Help us to fix our eyes on things unseen, on what you have in store for us after this life. Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I imagine that all of us have, we've probably taken a trip before, right? Whether it was across town, across the country, or across the pond, as some would say. I imagine we have all traveled from one place to another. And I imagine that leading up to our different trips, all of us learned a little something about the place that we were going. We want to know something about our final destination. I doubt many of us have ever taken a trip of any significance, uh, not knowing a single thing about where we were headed. Uh, so where exactly are you traveling? I don't know. What, what are you going to do there? I don't know. What things will you see? I don't know. What's the temperature going to be like? I don't know. Sounds great. Have fun. Our family recently took a trip to Disney World, and we did a ton of research beforehand, right? We cruised the internet. We talked to those who had been before. We read all those little touristy books on how to maximize your vacation to Disney World. We wanted to know a lot about that place before we ended up in that place. And all the info that we gathered leading up to the trip helped turn our itinerary into a military battle plan. I mean, I kid you not, right? At 0800 hours, we arise. At 08.30, we're out the door, headed to the Bravo location, otherwise known as the ferry pickup. Upon landing at the drop zone, otherwise known as Epcot, we're out 48 minutes later with the test track. We pick up extra rations along the way, and then we're on to the next expedition. I mean, it was like, wow! But all the information that we learned ahead of time helped us really enjoy our time. And that's how I think it should be with Christians as it pertains to heaven. It's crazy to me that we'll spend countless hours learning about the different places we can go during this life, but we know nothing about what comes after this life. C.S. Lewis says it well in Mere Christianity. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So that's what we're trying to remedy in this series. Let's talk a little bit about heaven about the place that is yet to come, the life after this life. Because I think you'll find it will change. It'll change your life. A little girl was uh, taking a walk with her dad late one evening, uh, full of wonder. She looked up and she stared at this beautiful sunset that was off on the horizon. 
Continuing on, she marveled at the sounds and the smells of the evening. About 30 minutes later, all the stars came out. And as they started walking home, she just couldn't contain it anymore. And she exclaimed, oh, daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is this beautiful, what must the right side be like? If the wrong side of heaven is this beautiful, what must the right side be like? How many of us, as it pertains to heaven, the right side of heaven, how how many of us get lost imagining what it will be like? How many of us just sit and wonder in astonishment as, as to what it's going to be like, what God has in store for us on the other side, on the right side of heaven? Or how many of us are like the little boy who on Christmas morning had high hopes for the gift that his wealthy grandparents were going to give him? Upon opening the gift, though, he found a package full of shirts and socks. His mother looked at him and said, what do you say to your nana and papa for the nice gift? And the boy said, but, but it just ain't that good. It just ain't that good. And my fear is that some of us feel that same way as it pertains to heaven. See, I don't think that we talk much about or think much about or get all that excited about heaven because deep down, we're just afraid it ain't going to be that good. It's okay to be honest about that. How many of you have thought that heaven is the never-ending church service, which even for pastors sounds more like a punishment than it does paradise? Heaven is the eternal hymn sing-along. Unless you're our choir director, Steve Burns, that sounds like H-E double hockey sticks to me, right? Heaven is where we sit on clouds all day long and learn to play the harp. I mean, it just doesn't sound fun. What do you say to the nice God that gave you this pretty little gift? But, but it just ain't that good. It just ain't, it just ain't that good. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. I know it's April and we just celebrated Easter, but I need you to do something for me this morning. I need you to sing a Christmas song with me. The 27,000 inches of snow that we received the last couple of days uh, will put you in the mood for such songs. So I want to sing verse 1 and verse 3 of Joy to the World. And don't you dare, don't you dare make me sing solo up here. All right, here we go. Joy to the World, verse 1. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Little high oops. Okay. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Verse 3. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Well, I need to pay Kim a lot more money for getting you all to sing louder than that on an average basis. But now you know why I'm a preacher, not a song leader. But I love this song for a lot of different reasons. It's a great tune, is it not? But it's also great theology, and not just about Christmas. This is a great theological lesson and insight into heaven. Heaven and nature singing. No more sins and sorrows grow. And that last line, far as the curse is found. Think back to the Garden of Eden with me. At the beginning of the Bible, we read about the beginning of time, the beginning of creation. And in that moment, in that reading, we find that God had a plan. He wanted to invite humanity 
All of us, he wanted to invite us into this dynamic, personal relationship that he and the Son and the Spirit all shared together. So they had this dynamic thing going on. They're like, you know, we want to share this with others. So they created humanity and invited us into that beautiful, harmonious, intimate relationship. And they wanted to be with us. God wanted to live with us and walk with us in a place. That place was this beautiful, fruitful, abundant place called earth. So you with me? God's plan. Invite others into the dynamic relationship that he shared with Jesus and the Spirit. And then to share that relationship with us on the earth. And that that dream did come to fruition, but it was rather short-lived, was it not? Adam and Eve, the first two human beings uh, that were formed and fashioned by God himself, they did something early on that God told them not to do, that he specifically warned them not to do. And when they did that, when they ate of this forbidden fruit, when they decided to disobey God, when they decided to disregard his law, when they decided to turn their back on his love, everything, everything fell apart. Everything went south and turned sour. Everything. The Bible uses this word cursed to describe what happened in that moment. Everything was cursed. Everything fell under this curse. Satan was cursed. The ground became cursed. Humanity was forced to live under this curse. That one moment in time, that one decision, that one act of disobedience, it negatively affected everything else. Think about it in terms of a a black ink mark on a page that then bled onto the rest of the page. Think about it in terms of that one domino that fell that then knocked over all the other dominoes. Think about that one kid who was sick in the preschool that ended up getting your whole family sick. We know that we can trace certain things back to this one moment, this one time, this one person. That's what happens in the fall. Because of what they did in the garden, there was this curse that then affected everything. And you've heard me say this before, but, but when I say everything, I really mean it was, it was everything. Our relationship with God was now at odds. Our relationship with one another was at odds. Even our relationship with the ground itself was at odds. Everything was covered in curse. Everything broke. Everything was off. Reminds me of the story of the politician who stumbled across a genie in a bottle. Like most genies, he offered to grant the politician three wishes. Well, I want an unending supply of Dr. Pepper, the politician said. Okay. Genie gave him his Dr. Pepper, unlimited. The man said, okay, uh, fine. Now I want to live on a beautiful island with beautiful women all around me. Okay. Poof. Sunny, sandy beach filled with gorgeous women. And finally, he said, I don't want to work another day in my life. Okay. Genie said, poof. He was right back in his government office. You see, but it's not just our political system that's a little bit off. It's not just the political system that's tainted and twisted. Everything, because of sin, because of the garden, because of what happened with that tree, everything now is off. Everything is ruined. In the book of Romans, a, a man by the name of Paul describes what happened in the garden in this way. He says that the entire earth and everyone in it is now subjected to decay. Subjected to decay. Isn't that a powerful way of saying it? See, I don't know about you, but mold and decay on my food, ooh, it's got a way of turning my stomach like nothing else. Imagine now the entire world being covered in that stuff. Imagine being able to peer into the human heart and seeing that it is covered with that stuff. Everything, Paul says, because of what happened back in the garden, everything is covered in this curse, subjected to decay, totally covered in mold. Every person, every part of creation, 
rotting away. Nothing looks now or feels like or operates like God intended it or designed it to be. All sin stained, all curse covered. All right, it's with all that in mind now that the description of heaven becomes fascinating to me. Watch this, Revelation 22. A man by the name of John has a vision of what the new heaven and the new earth, what life after this life, what it's going to look like. This is how he describes it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve them. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but describing the end, he actually uses a lot of imagery and language that is found at the beginning. Revelation takes us back to Genesis. Right? There's a city. It's now mature. It's developed. There's so much going on here in the new heavens. But look, it's also very similar to how Eden was. There's fruits. There's crops. There's a tree. Tree of life. See, the end takes us back to the beginning. Revelation takes us to Genesis. And here's why. Because God's plan, God's hope for us to live in intimate communion with him in a beautiful place like Eden, that plan never ended. That hope never died. He's actually going to see it realized. It looks and sounds like he never gave up on his plan to live with us, to be with us. But because of sin and because it messed it all up, it was, we were incapable of enjoying it. And so Eden, if you read through the scripture, Eden was never destroyed. We were just kicked out of it. We just couldn't go back there, right? But it's not as if God said, Adam and Eve, now you're out of Eden and look behind you real fast. I'm consuming that place with fire. No, no, no. Eden still exists. The idea of being with God, in harmony with God, in harmony with one another, in harmony with all of creation, that idea, that plan still exists. And it comes to its fullness. It comes to fruition in heaven. I mean, based on this text in Revelation, it sure looks and sounds like everything God wanted happens in heaven. We go back to where we belong. We exist in the way we were originally intended to exist. And there's this tree there, oh, the tree of life. And unlike the other tree that was in the first garden, the tree that brought all this death, this tree, this tree of life brings healing to all the nations, it says. Right? We trace all the bad things back to what happened on that one tree, but now God says there will be another tree in the new heavens and the new earth, and it will heal all the nations. No more death, it will bring life. And if you don't learn anything else about heaven in this entire series, you have to pick up on this one thing. In heaven, there will not be any curse. I mean, look at that language. No longer will there be any curse. The curse that we just talked about that covered everything, it'll be broken. I'm not just talking about the cubs, right, and the curse that they were under for many, many years. That is a curse being broken, I agree. But we're talking about a universal curse now, right? that will be universally broken. All of heaven, all of earth, it says. Everything that went wrong at the beginning will be made right at the end. Everything. The curse that plagued our relationships, gone. The curse that plagued our understanding of who God was, gone. The curse that infected the ground and caused us to struggle against it, gone. Better yet, cured. The cross of Christ is the cure 
for the curse. The cross of Christ is the cure for the curse. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, everyone who dies on a tree. See, so Christ became and took on this curse, and he liberated us from the curse. But we would be foolish to think that it begins and ends with humanity. God's desire to resurrect and redeem all things, it doesn't begin and end with humanity. Look at Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, there was one tree that we can point back to that was in the garden that was this pinnacle moment, this catalyst moment, where everything went haywire starting at that moment, right? Tree, bad. Well, this passage tells us there's another tree that significantly changes all that, the cross of Christ. All the bad things can be traced back to that one tree in the garden, but all the good things can be traced back and will be traced back to that one tree, the cross of Christ. So what happened a few weeks ago, guys, what happened on Good Friday, what happened on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, it is so much bigger than you could ever even imagine. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything and everyone will be raised to new life. It's not just that Jesus was raised to new life. It's that he literally destroyed death. He reversed the curse. He changed the complete trajectory that everything was headed on. He reversed that trend of decay and death and destruction that everything was on, he reversed it. It was heading in a certain way, and then Jesus came, and he completely changed everything. That was the moment. See, Adam and Eve's disobedience resulted in the death and the decay and the destruction of everything else, but Christ's obedience, it results in the life, in the liberation, and the liberty of all other things. Jesus didn't die and rise again. He could just save your soul from hell. I mean, he probably would have died just for that reason, but he died for so much more than that. Acts 3.21, heaven must receive him. So Jesus must stay in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So Jesus didn't die and, 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 and then rise again so, so he could just save you. He died and rose again so we could save everything. He died and rose again so he could liberate everything that was on heaven and on the earth. He could liberate it from the curse. He died and rose again so that death would no longer be the default setting. He died and rose again so that God's original plan, what he wanted back in the garden, it could come to full, mature fruition at the end. Jesus reversed the curse, not just for us, but for everything, for the plants, for people, for the planets. When Jesus died and rose again, he brought life to everything. And it will be fully realized in heaven. You see, sin started something way back when, but Jesus started something better on the cross. When he came into the picture, when he was introduced into the story, Jesus brought life far as the curse is found. And the curse went everywhere Therefore, Jesus' life will go everywhere 
as well. Stop and think about that just for a minute with me. The amazing things in this life, the stuff that, that brings us a lot of excitement and joy in this life, right? Like a fresh baked chocolate chip cookie. Oh, yes. Beautiful snow-capped mountains. A, a, a cup of coffee with, with a close friend. Hitting a golf ball perfectly with a little draw on that par five. Oh, yes. Doesn't excite anybody else. Okay, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Right? Holding a new baby. Sitting next to a warm fire. There's all these beautiful things in this life. Guess what, friends? They are all covered in a curse. They are all stained by sin. And if they excite you now in that condition, you just wait until you see them in their resurrected condition. You wait until you see all those wonderful things liberated from the decay that they are under. Oh, they bring you joy now. You have no clue the kind of joy they will bring you when they are free and alive. That's heaven. That is heaven. If we're mesmerized and fascinated now, just wait. All things, Jesus said, I will resurrect. All things I will bring to a new life. All things I will free up. All things. Except for cats. He's not going to do it for cats. That's in the scripture, I promise you. But that's heaven, right? Heaven isn't going to be so much somewhere that we go separate and apart from this. It's going to be something God ushers in here. It's going to be something God brings about here. It's going to be something that he rains down on us. God doesn't have a plan B. I was like, oh, man, I want to live with humanity in this beautiful garden called Eden, and now it got all messed up. Shoot, now what am I going to do? I guess we'll just destroy it all and start again. No, no, no. His plan will come to completion. He's going to see it realized. He doesn't have to have a plan B. His plan A is still the plan. It's the only plan, and it's going to happen. We're going to live in a beautiful place called Eden with the condition that we've never experienced before. Let me try to explain this a different way to you. It's amazing how uh, badly you can mess something up when you just change one little letter in the word, right? You can change a whole idea, a whole thought process if I just have one little typo. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Uh, Pilates of the Caribbean, right? Very different movie, very different movie. Or how about poopy seed muffins? Like, oh... Or, or, or blurry discs. Like, I'm not going to spend so much money getting blurry discs, right? I mean, you change one little letter, though, and you change everything. Now, nowhere is that more evident than as it pertains to God's plan and God's hope for us, for creation. Take a look at these two words with me. They're actually not even words. They're prefixes. Re and D. Now, they, there's not much difference there, right? But I kid you not, when you change the R to a D or vice versa, you are changing everything. See, when it comes to God's plan for the future, what God has in store for us, we almost always go back to a D understanding of things, don't we? We default to the D world. It's going to be destroyed, demolished, devastated, right? D, 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 D. That's not what the Bible says at all. Not even close. The biblical vocabulary, when it comes to the future, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the life after this life, it always revolves around Re, not D. Re, reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, resurrect. 
The entire Christian faith is based on re. And that's because that prefix, re, is designed to communicate a return to an original condition, a condition that was ruined or lost. Re communicates doing something again, only doing it better, doing it right this time, the way it was designed to be. And so everything we believe in and everything Jesus teaches is based on re. In Matthew 19, the disciples are asking, what's it going to be like up there? What's heaven going to be like and what's in it for me? And Jesus responds by saying this, Matthew 19, 28, at the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. We'll talk more about this verse in the weeks to come about what we're going to do in heaven. But look at how Jesus describes heaven, at the renewal of all things. He doesn't say at the destruction of all things or the annihilation of all things. It's at the renewal of all things. God's mission is not to wipe everything out. It's to lift everything back up to the life that it was originally intended to have, the way it was before the fall, before sin, before the curse. So people, we do matter to God. You're right, he's gonna save people. But guess what else matters to God? Matter. Matter matters. What he made matters. When's the first time we read the word good in the scriptures? Genesis chapter two. And what does is, what is God describe? What's he talking about? What he made. All of creation, he says it's so good. He's not gonna destroy it. He's not gonna throw his hands up and be like, ah, oh, forget about that thing. He loves this thing. And so he's gonna resurrect this thing as well as resurrect you and I. He's not gonna rescue us from all of this. He's gonna redeem it all so that we can do what Adam and Eve were incapable of doing ruling and reigning over this earth in full righteousness. There's a huge craze out there right now. It's been around for a few years with, with home makeover shows. Anybody love watching these shows? I mean, these are just they're great shows, right? Started way back in the day, uh, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, right? Move that bus! Like, what? Now it's like, you ready to see your fixer up? You're like, whoa! They're all based on the same thing, are they not? They're all based on this idea that they take an old house that's totally demolished, that's totally fallen apart, that's ruined, and they breathe new life into it. They make it so much better than it actually was at the beginning. I've never seen a show in all my years watching HGTV, and I do, I confess. I've never seen a show about, uh, you know, like new home builds. Like, uh, tune in tomorrow night for our new series called Track Homes where we show you how the contractor does the same thing again and again and again and again and again. Why do we want to see these shows so bad? Why are we so fascinated by them? Because they take something that's broken down and they repair it. They take the old and they make it as good as new. We're fascinated with these because this is what God is doing. This is what he's going to do. He's not going to just make it all brand new from nothing, he's going to fix the old into something we can't even begin to fathom based upon what he had to start with. He's going to fix it all up. I mean, God is the ultimate salvage artist, the ultimate fixer-upper. And he has promised time and time again to restore, remake, revive, redeem, and resurrect all things. See, in my estimation, what happened on the cross, what happened at the empty tomb, is not just for me it reaches into the far corners of all of creation. When he arose that morning, every cell, every molecule, every plant, every animal, they were infused with a new life because God is resurrecting all things. 
He's going to reconcile all things. He's going to reunite all things. He's going to make what went haywire in the garden. He's going to make it happen in heaven. You with me? I mean, why would he resign to just wiping it all out? Why would he give up on everything? Why would he, uh, why would he just destroy what he painstakingly made? No, 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 no. Satan would love for him to do that. Satan wants for him to do that. Satan wants him to scrap everything. He's going to save everything. Everything. And doesn't that make more sense now? I mean, why do we pack 100,000 meals for those in Haiti if we're all just going to die? If, if the world's just going to fall apart? Why do we pour so much money into the new chapel? Why would we plant new trees? It's just all going to burn up in the end anyway. God's going to revive and restore and redeem everything. So your acts here, they matter. Your care for creation now, it matters. What you build, what you do, how you serve, it matters. It's not going to be destroyed. It's going to be resurrected to new life. So what do you say? What do you say to the great God that gave you this nice gift? Thank you. Thank you. It's so much better than I ever thought. It's so much better than I ever imagined it to be. With all that in mind, I want to offer up a working definition of heaven that we're going to use for the next couple of weeks. This is how I would define heaven. Heaven is where a resurrected humanity living upon a restored earth in the presence of the real Jesus. Heaven is where a resurrected humanity, you, will live upon a restored and renewed earth in the presence of the real Jesus. What do you say to the great God that gave you this gift? Thank you. I can't thank you enough. So you're not going to miss the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about what does a resurrected humanity look like? What does it mean that you will have a new, glorious, resurrected body? Does it mean that I will have long hair? It might. And the scripture doesn't say that it doesn't, so you can't tell me otherwise. If we're going to imagine, we're going to imagine all the way on this end of the spectrum. But what does it mean? What age will you be? What will your body be like? Will it have all the senses? We're going to talk about that next week. A resurrected humanity, fully alive in a way you've never been alive before. On a restored earth. What does a restored earth look like? What is an earth free of all the tragedy and all the pain and all the natural disasters? What does that even look like? What does an earth resurrected and fully alive even look like? We're going to talk about that next week. And what will it be like, church, to stand in the presence of the real Jesus? To not just sing about him or to him. To not just read about him. But to literally stand in his presence. And for him to tell you what he told the disciples, touch me. Go ahead. I'm the real thing. A resurrected humanity on a restored earth in the presence of the real Jesus. What do you say? What do you say to this great God who gave you this nice gift? What do you say, church? What do you say? Amen. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Thank him for that. Father, we're sorry that we're like that little boy more often than not. We're just thinking it ain't going to be that good. Nothing could be further from the truth. You were going to raise up everything to new life. You were going to redeem and reconcile and restore everything. I mean, what is that, that going to be like, God? 
We saw Jesus in his glorified body. We saw a hint of what was to come. He was brilliant. He was glorious, God. He had talents and abilities and special things that we never even thought possible. What would that look like when we are that way and all of the earth is that way, God? What does love look like without sin and curse? What does adventure look like without sin and curse? What does beauty look like without sin and curse? Oh, God, we can't wait. We cannot wait for this. What you have in store for us is so much greater than all we can ask for or even imagine. And we're thankful, God. We're thankful that the things you made, you haven't given up on them. God, you never, you never gave up on me. You could have. And you haven't given up on anybody in this room. And you're not gonna give up on anything in this world. Satan will not have a hold of anything. Nothing will be destroyed by death in the end. It will all be raised to new life. Eden will come back and we will be with you in that place. Wow, make it so, God. Until that time, help, help us to fix our eyes on that place because it will change how we live in this place. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, next week, you're not gonna miss it. Hope you're here. Have an amazing week. Uh, be strong and courageous, you guys. God bless.